All right, that second song we listened to today talked about how, uh, Lord, we, we love to sing your praises. Now, one of the things about singing worship music where we can easily slip up is we can kind of just regurgitate the lyrics but not really mean them. What would cause a person to desire to sing God's praises? I'll start with a story. I'll read a psalm and ask you a question, and then I will hope to make you slightly uncomfortable, then highly encouraged, and then pray that God might create in us a greater desire to sing his praises. Story. When I was growing up, my pa used to come to our house on Sundays, as I think I shared before. And one Sunday in particular, I was six years old. He, he gave me a choice. I wish he would still come over on Sundays for this reason, for others too, but... He held out a $100 bill, and he held out $51 bills. And he asked me, which one do you want? And I obviously chose the $51 bills, because when I put them in my wallet, it made it so fat, and I was rich because I had 50 bills. And, you know, he laughed. I couldn't understand why he would laugh at my wisdom. I mean, I obviously chose what was better. Just to decide he let me keep it. My mom and him argued about it, and I was pulling for him in the argument. But let me ask you this question. If you could have full, complete, and unfettered access to the word of God, or $1 million cash, don't answer out loud, access to the word of God, or $1 million cash, which would you choose? I know there are some people, probably not here, who would say, well, it's a million dollars, right? But today we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 19. And you'll see in this psalm that the psalmist says God's word is to be more desired than much fine gold. I want to think about, is God crazy and his word's untrue? The psalmist delusional? Or are we perhaps a bit askew in how we view life and God? We read the psalm, then I'll pose another question to you. And in Psalm 19, says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. That first six-verse section is speaking about how creation declares who God is. Paul quotes that, Psalm 19 in Romans 10. He speaks of it um, as well in, in Romans 1, not the psalm, but the fact that creation declares who God is. Now listen to this second section here, 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law meaning in this context, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the commandments, the law of God back there. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. And we have this last section which talks about how the, the Christian person, the follower of God, should respond to the word of God. It says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's the question. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, these are all synonyms, right? But it says that they are, they are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. This person, the, the law of God revives their soul, makes them wise, rejoices their heart, enlightens their eyes, gives them the ability to endure forever. When you think of the word of God, is that what you think? I mean, do you come home from a long day at work? Where's my Bible? I need reviving. I need restoring. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm worn out. I need this. Or, or do you grab that oddly shaped device and sit back and push, and push, and push. And two hours later, you, you've watched who knows what. You know, somebody remodeled the kitchen. Some sport team won. I love ESPN Classic, so even if there's no sports on, you can watch an old sport game in case something happened. At you. And then two hours later, you get up completely refreshed and restored and feeling wonderful, right? Or maybe you're like me, like, what the heck did I just do for two hours? Do we really view God's word for what it is, or do we distort it slightly? And the answer for most people, for all people, if we're honest, because we're still riddled with sin, we distort it. Today we're going to look at the righteousness of God. Next week we're going to finish up our, our attribute series, uh, and I'm going to, to tie them all together, the ones we've, we haven't looked at all the attributes of God. We're going to tie them all together. Then we're going to jump into a, a series in 1 Corinthians, and I'll I give you a homework assignment now. Um, start reading 1 Corinthians. You're going to get a lot more out of that series if you are familiar with the text than if you just come and listen to me read it and, and exegete it. Um, I would even encourage you to read it as many times through as you could. So if you want to get up in the morning or in the evening, just, just read 1 Corinthians, how far, far you get. Pick it up the next time you sit down, and when you finish it, read it again. It'll allow us all to be very fluent with it, so as we unpack it, we'll get more from it. But back to where we are today, righteousness. What, what does righteousness mean? It's one of the attributes of God that's rarely discussed. But I'll give you a, a straight definition and then a, a layman's definition. It means God is the final standard of what is right, and he always acts in accordance with what is right. Okay? He's a straight edge. What's true is true because God determines it to be true and it is representative of who God is. What is right is right because God determines it to be right and it's representative of who he is. So if you read the Bible and you think, well, well, that's not right, what God did, guess what? You're wrong. What's right and wrong is determined based on who God is and God in part is righteous. Okay? How do we know what is what righteousness is, God reveals it to us through his word, through his law. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. And he goes through those three sections we looked at. He tells us it is perfect and sure and right. The word of God is. We live in what's called a postmodern culture. It, it means people believe that truth is relative. 
What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. The only problem is if my truth says that your truth is a lie, is my truth still true? You guys with me there? Truth can't be relative. Truth has to be absolute. But we live in a culture that is refusing to accept absolute truth. They're, in fact, absolutely sure there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's a ridiculous statement. And yesterday, or the day before, I saw my favorite bumper sticker again. Coexist. You ever see that one? Coexist does not mean that all people of different backgrounds and races and beliefs should live side by side and love one another and get along well. That's, o- that's okay. That, that would actually be a good thing. I don't know about different belief systems. That'll go away in heaven. But in particular, as Christians, we're called to love all people. We're called to coexist, in a sense, with all people, presenting them with truth. But that's not what the bumper sticker means. It means all religions are equally valid and truthful. So for the Christian, Christianity is truth. For the Buddhist, Buddhism is truth. For the humanist, humanism is truth. For the, you know, whatever you want, whatever they want is true. But that's just utterly ridiculous. They can't coexist based on truth claims. First, the major world religions all conflict on major points, but in particular, Christianity conflicts with every other worldview because Christianity is grace-based and everything else is works-based. You know that. Judaism is works-based. Catholicism is works-based. Buddhism is why I don't actually think anybody can define what it is, but to an extent it's works-based. Humanism is works-based. People believe this. They say, I think that if you do your best and you're right with God, then you'll go to heaven. It's works-based religion. Christianity is the opposite. It says that your works are nothing but filthy rags before God. But Jesus came to live the life you couldn't and to place his, what word, righteousness upon you by grace through faith. It's grace-based. See that difference? So if you want to tell me, well, Christianity is true for you, but, but fill in the blank is true for me, well, that's great, but my truth is true and yours is a blatant lie. They can't both be true. Do you see that there? Our culture doesn't have the ability to grasp this. They've been, they've been blinded by the prince of darkness, in fact, to believe these lies that they're taught. A lot of people's worldview is not logically uh, coherent, but they just don't think about it. Well, we as people who know the truth know the truth for a reason. And the reason we know the truth is that God is righteous and he's revealed it to us. So, a couple months, three months ago, we looked at how God is knowable. Remember that? Well, the knowable God revealed that he is righteous. He is the arbiter, determiner of truth. So why is Christianity true? Why is the Bible true? Because God is true. He, he is righteous. He's determined that this is truth. So it's not a discussion for us to say, well, well God, see, I don't like your truth. I, I want to make my own truth, so I'm going to change it a little bit. And then I get these discussions. Well, you have your view of Christianity, and I have my view of Christianity. Gag me with a spoon. There are not interpretations of Christianity. There's truth, and there's distortion of truth. We call those synonymously lies. Doesn't Paul talk about that all through Galatians? Well, I'm a Christian, but, but I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, I'm an ostrich. I just don't have wings. I mean, you can't. Do you see where we are here? So what the psalmist is talking about is the law of God, which is completely true and pure and sure, and it makes the simple wise. Now, now that I've conveyed that truth to you, which you all probably affirm, right? And if you don't, you're just dead wrong and deal with it. Don't you just rejoice in your heart and want to sing praises to God right now? Hello? What? Hello? No? Now, I read a quote this week, which is very true, and it said, it said something about 
how sound, robust theology should always lead to a desire to sing praises to God, and that's absolutely right. But if we just stop on the intellectual side about the truth of God and his word being true and sure and right, we can hang out with the demons and agree intellectually with them. What is it that brought the psalmist to this point? Is, is God's word a lie? Is it not true that his word should be more valued than much fine gold? Is the psalmist delusional in thinking that, that God's word is more precious than much fine gold? Do you know what you can buy with much fine gold? I mean, you give me enough fine gold, I can get a Bentley and a jet on a private airfield, and I can go to Disney World any day I want to go to Disney World, and that's pretty good. I can go to the beaches around the world. I could go watch World Cup in person in a luxury suite. I mean, give me enough fine gold, and then, then I see, now you're all smiling. People perked up on the fine gold side, but, but the word of God, more precious than that, what? So God's crazy, and the psalmist is delusional, right? Only if we're righteous on our own. Look at what happens here. It says here, it's sure, it's sure, it's perfect, it's right, it's pure. Imagine you're, you're riding into the city on the Schuylkill, and I still to this day don't understand why they made one highway to go into Philadelphia. Why not make a couple? You know, if we have this thing called traffic, you can go an alternate way, but, but assuming you're sitting in, in traffic, or I can just say assuming you're driving into the city, they're synonymous, and you're trying to figure out what to do. Well, you're sitting in your, in your little car, and you're looking as far as the eye can see, and there's just cars everywhere, and there are cars behind you, and nobody's moving, and, and you're like, do I get off? Do I stay on? And if you have someone in the car, you're asking them, and then you start fighting about it. Do we get off? Do we stay? I don't know. You're trying. Well, you decide. I'm, I'm busy trying. We're not going anywhere. Do I, what do we do? Right? It turns into that. You, you don't, you're a fool in traffic. You don't know what to do. Your perspective's not right. Well, if you turn on the radio... Or if your passenger takes out their traffic app on the phone, I, I can't uh, endorse looking at your phone. Uh, someone's listening to this, maybe. You can get a traffic report, and they often come from traffic helicopters, right? And the traffic helicopter is way up there, and they have a far different perspective. So the traffic helicopter says, you know, there's bumper to bumper traffic on the Schuylkill Expressway. We recommend exiting at Conshohocken and doing this and doing that, and you know, right? And you're like, okay. How many of us do this? <laughs> traffic helicopters know what he's talking about. I know better than a traffic helicopter which way I should go, so I'm sitting in this traffic and it's going to be faster. Yeah, you'd be an idiot. The, the helicopter makes you wise, not because you're wise, but because there's wisdom from that perspective. No, it's pure, it's sure, it's wise, right? And then you think, huh, I can get out of this traffic. Well, guess what? God isn't a traffic helicopter, but he's a whole lot better. He's a whole lot wiser and higher and more robust, and he doesn't see and tell you how to react. He knows, and he guides you, right? His word is a lamp and a light for our feet and, the, and our path, right? But what we do with God is we treat him less than a helicopter. Well, God, listen, man, your commandments, they, they, they are, in fact, burdensome, not a joy and a delight. So John was wrong. You don't know what you're talking about because you're not really righteous. Sure, I know you think you're trying your best, but I know better, and I'm going to sit in traffic. I'm not going to obey your commandments. I'm going to do what I want, right? Because we have sin in our hearts. Don't we all do that at times? You don't say it out loud. Come to church and I'd like to praise God for the fact that, that I disobeyed him and it worked out so well for me. Like he was a fool and his law was screwy, but, but I knew better and praise God that I'm righteous and that I did what I knew was best, right? We don't say it out loud. We don't praise him for it because we know it doesn't work out well, but it's often how we live. So, what is the point of his law that gets us to the point to desire it and to find joy in it? Right, I, I brought this. What's the point of God's law? 
most people think it's a do and don't list, right? So you get the, well, you know, I, I try my best to do what God wants, and I think that God lets good people into heaven. You try your best, you get to go to heaven, right? So we take his law, you do your best to keep it, and then you think you're going to heaven. That's why we have his law, right? So don't, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, and you get to go to heaven. And if, you see, the trick is if you cheat and lie and steal, just tell them you're sorry, and then God just says, oh, it's okay, try not to do it again. You know, like uh, kids in the playground, sorry there's sand in your face, it's okay, just try not to do it again. They think that's how God acts, and then we go to heaven. That's not the purpose of God's law, but Matthew 5 says, you must be perfect as I am perfect. Here are the requirements, God says. You have to. It's not, here's a couple recommendations if you're interested in proper conduct in my world. No, he says, I own the world, I own you, here's what you have to do. If you don't do it, you will die. Wages of sin is death. You know, God's no cuddly grandpa. Do them or die. Well, we don't do them. So we say, I, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe God would let anyone go to hell if they tried their best. Well, see, what you're telling me is you're more righteous than God, that you're determining truth and God doesn't determine truth. That's called a bit of pride. You know, I'm not pride, I'm humble. I just tell God what's right and wrong. That's how we live. If that's how you view the law, you can never rejoice in the law. You'll never find rest in the law. You're never going to consider it more precious than, than much fine gold. It's going to be burdensome and depressing and disgusting. And in fact, you won't want to look at it. That's why the world is repulsed by God's word. It's one of the things I found over the years is that as a person comes to faith, one of the, the best evidences, it's not foolproof, but one of the best evidence of a genuine um, conversion taking place, either being drawn or have just come to faith, is a desire to, to feast on the word of God. That doesn't happen naturally. Yeah. That, that's a, a God-given work. And as Christians mature, we'll talk about this in a second, one of the signs of the maturing is a desire to feast on the word of God because you start to see it for what it is. So what is it? Well, it's commandments. You have to keep it to be perfect. But there's good news on the back end of it, isn't there? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to be a good teacher. He came to show us how we should live so we can be right with God. Anybody here doing that? Anybody here turning some water into wine? Walking on the water? Raising the dead? We'll take a trip to the cemetery after church today and see how, how righteous people here are, how powerful. We'll each go to a grave marker. Come out! Huh? Jesus didn't come to, to show us how to live to be right with God. Why did he come? To live the life we couldn't so that there might be a way for us to be right with God. God's righteous. We are unrighteous. God's perfect. In order to dwell with him, you too must be perfect. God's standard is super high, right? And we can't meet that standard. That's why Jesus came. Look at um, too many, too many uh, verses marked in my Bible here today. Galatians, that's for Galatians 4. In chapter 4, verse 4, I'll read it if you can't beat me there. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were all slaves to the law. Keep it perfectly. That, that, that is not a joke. That's God's requirement on every human being who has ever lived. Here's my law. Keep it 
perfectly or die. That doesn't sound real tolerant, does it? It actually sounds impossible. Why would God do that? Is it to show off his righteousness and make us feel bad? This is not so far a lovely message like, oh, this is wonderful news, Pastor. I can't believe how, how horrible I am. But then, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came for people who were under the law to free us from the law. You tracking with me here? It's not until you understand the righteousness of God, the requirement of God, and the work of Christ that you can truly see this for what it really is, what it's meant to be. God's law is meant to first and foremost convict you of sin, to admit, I'm not good enough. The gospel doesn't say try harder. The gospel says your best is never going to be enough. That's the bad news. But God says, my best is all sufficient. That's why God is both just and the justifier. Yes? Now, this is no new truth to, to a Christian, but it's a truth that we need to hear repetitively because we too easily forget it. We too easily think, well, you know what, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty smart, pretty cool, pretty, pretty happy. I got life going on, I'm pretty good. Get that Bentley and private jet going, right? We, there's nothing wrong with a Bentley and private jet. If, if anybody has one and wants to invite me on one or has friends, I'm, I'm, I'm all for going on them. But it's when that becomes more precious to you than Christ comes the problem. We need to be reminded anew of how bad we are on our own day by day. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a lot further along the spiritual maturity path than I am. But, but my heart is still pretty messed up. And we tend by sin to default to thinking that we are pure and sure and wise. How do I know? How often do you hear someone who claims to be a Christian say, well, I think, in quotes, I think that God wants me to fill in the blank. Don't tell me that. Because when the I think runs in direct contrast to the God says, we have a problem. Well, I prayed about it. And I feel comfort with. Stop it. Jeremiah 17, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. You can pray and have comfort about a whole lot of different sin. You can rationalize it and justify it however you like. But Christians, we're, we're called to think, but we're called to be wise by what God says. Do you see that? Now, there are areas where you need to, to try to discern what God's will is. But there are a whole lot of black and white areas. That's where we are made wise through what? Through the law of God. Now, here's, here's where it gets to be what the psalmist talks about it. We go through life as dumb sheep. Don't you lie? Aren't I encouraging and edifying you? You dumb, sinful, ignorant fools. Welcome to church today, blind sheep. You're really horrible, miserable, and good for nothing. <laughs> go in peace. Well, well, the good news is, through the work of Christ, do you know what we become? Righteous. So when God looks at you as a Christian, he says, Whoo, man, I... You got me on that technicality. Man, no. He sees you as if you kept all of these perfectly. Even when you don't, you know what Jesus says? I got that one. I'll take the punishment for that one. Do you see that? God doesn't look at you as a forgiven person who is still full of sin and messing up constantly who he doesn't want to be around because God can't dwell with imperfection. But it doesn't make sense. How are we made righteous through Christ? That's a divine transaction that's mind-boggling. Jesus took our sin upon himself and took his righteousness and put it upon us. So when God looks at us, and here's where the law becomes a joint of delight, 
He sees us as if we live the very life Christ did, and he gives us his law. Why? To show his children how they ought to live to have the joy and abundant life and effectiveness that he desires for us. It says in keeping his law, there is great reward. What is a reward? It's, it's abundantly wide, but in part it's intimacy with God, and it's blessings from God, and it's being used powerfully by God. But we tell God, listen, God, you don't know what you're talking about. There's better reward in other things. Hogwash. There is no greater reward than intimacy with Christ, and that intimacy is found only by understanding that he is righteous, he determines right and wrong, he determines the way we should go, and we are only made righteous through Christ. Y'all tracking with me here? So, when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, do you know what our response should be? Thank you, Father. Please empower me and guide me so that I do not. He says that, you know, you shall not steal. Thank you, Father, for showing me how I ought to live. Please empower me and guide me so I might not steal or covet or lie or cheat. That I might be hedged in by your will. The dirty little secret that the devil doesn't want you to know is that it is walking in God's will that the desires of your heart are met and exceeded. Not in what the world has to offer. But we don't often believe that, do we? Do you want to have rest, wisdom, certainty, a rejoicing heart? Where do you want to get them? Do you want to be loved, cared for, appreciated, encouraged, find worth in yourself? Do you, want, do you want to find purpose and meaning in life? Do you want to wake up giving thanks at all times and in all circumstances? Anybody not want that? Where do you get it? It's only one place, a relationship with Christ. Do you see that? You're all, we all think, well, God, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. That's sin in our lives. God determines right from wrong, truth from lie, good from evil. Our job is to walk in joyful obedience to him for our good and for his glory. The righteousness of God is dependent upon every other attribute. It runs concurrent with every other attribute, but it is a joy that we have. Let me pray for us. I don't know if it's the heat talking to me that ran me quick, but um, let me pray and then I'll, I'll close with a benediction. Father God, we just praise you for the fact that you are righteous, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are true. We thank you for the fact, Father, that through Christ you have made us righteous. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to walk in your will for your glory and our good. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Oh. Okay. Sorry. <laughs>